I love chocolate chip cookies. I love my wife. Wait a minute. Is that the same thing? Is, is that the same concept? Chocolate chip cookies and my wife? No, that's not the same thing, right? That's clearly not the same thing. That, that actually exposes one of the weaknesses of our English language. Uh, it, it's seen in the use of the word love. There's no, there's no differentiation there. Uh, surely we understand that there's a difference, but the same word is being used. Our English word love is used for both. We want to talk uh, about that truer, deeper kind of love, not the love for chocolate chip cookies, but the kind of love that you have for your spouse. We want to talk about that deeper, truer kind of love today, and we want to apply it to something that we perhaps take for granted, but that we ought to love in a very true and deep way, I want to suggest to you this morning that we should love the church. We should love the church. Do you ever think about love and church in the same concept? I want to try to develop that in our study this morning. Uh, We should love the church. We stopped just briefly to say thank you for being here on this Lord's Day morning. We're glad that we have this chance to assemble, to worship God, to encourage one another, and we're glad that you're here to be a part of that. We have visitors today, and we're grateful for our visitors. We want you to come back every time you have a chance. And, of course, for one and all, visitors and even our own members, if there are questions, if things need to be clarified, if you want to know the reason why for what we teach or do, simply ask that question, and we will try to give a Bible answer. That's our objective. We should love the church. And I want to suggest to you there's a number of reasons why we should love the church. We should love the church because, first of all, Jesus loved it. Uh, If we love someone, then we typically love and appreciate the same things that they do. Let's say that you go over to Hobby Lobby. You've been to Hobby Lobby. You go over to Hobby Lobby, and there's a woman just shopping away. You can tell that she is in her element. She's really enjoying This is Hobby Lobby, after all. And there's her husband, who's just dutifully following along. He's not excited about being at Hobby Lobby. That's not his thing, but it's his wife's thing. And so he appreciates it because she appreciates it. He's there because she's there. He loves what she loves. That's sort of the nature of of that relationship. Well, I want to suggest to you that we should love the church because our Lord and Master Jesus Christ himself loved it. In the reading that was read earlier from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27, notice, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus' love for the church obviously was a totally sacrificial love. It was a life-giving commitment. Jesus gave his life for the church. He gave himself up for her. That being the case, we ought to love the church as well, because our master... Jesus loved the church. And we ought to have a life-long, life-giving kind of commitment to the church. So let's put it this way. Uh, 
Jesus loved the church. Would you agree that the other side of that is that Satan hates the church, right? Jesus loves the church. Satan hates the church. I think that would go almost without saying, wouldn't it? But if you think about it then, the more we love the church, the more we are like Christ. The less we love the church, the more we are like the devil. Think about it that way. We ought to love the church because Jesus loved it. I think we should love the church almost just simply from a common sense point of view because the church possesses very lovely features. When a young man falls in love with a young woman, he can talk endlessly about all of her wonderful attributes, right? Isn't that right? Isn't that the way love goes? And so this, here's this old boy, and he has found this girl, and he is just madly in love with her. Don't start talking with him about that girl, because he will talk your, as we say, he will talk your leg off. He will just talk on and on, telling you everything that's good about the one that he loves. Well, we ought to be able to do the same thing with the church. The church has very many lovely attributes, and we should recognize them and even be able to speak about the lovely features of the church. Uh, we, we could spend the rest of our time this morning cataloging what I think are the lovely features of the church. I want to mention two, just two, and I know there's a lot more. But I want to tell you one thing that is so noble about the church is the loving relationship that exists between members of the church. The Apostle Paul commended the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. And so Paul commended the the folks there at Thessalonica because they had demonstrated that kind of extreme love between brethren. i got to tell you, though, that church is 2,000 years ago, but we've seen it in our day too, haven't we? And isn't it a wonderful thing? It isn't a beautiful thing that when we have witnessed brotherly love in evidence among Christians in the church. I think that there's a lot of you who would be able to say the same thing I say. There's a stronger bond that exists very often between us as Christians in the Lord's church. There's a stronger bond there than even with some of our own blood relatives. We have a great love And it's a wonderful thing about the Lord's church that this brotherly love exists. It is a great thing. So there's a lovely feature. We should love the church because we have that wonderful brotherly relationship in the church. Let me suggest a second. I'm only going to mention two, but let me mention a second lovely feature of the church. And that is how the church stands for what is right. The church stands for righteousness. The church stands for truth. In Revelation chapter 2, beginning verse 1, unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, the Lord says, I know thy works, thy labor, thy patience, how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. This thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, there were some issues with the church at Ephesus. We're not dealing with those here. But the church at Ephesus is commended because it stood for what was true and right. It opposed those who taught error. That's a, that's a good thing. That's a lovely attribute of the church. That still exists in the Lord's church today. 
In a world that is full of compromise, this is a beautiful thing. The church stands for what's right. In our world, the church still stands for what has come to be identified as traditional marriage. Isn't it shocking that when we talk about marriage between a man and a woman, we have to identify that's traditional marriage. Well, there's other kinds of marriage. There's, there's same-sex marriage, all that sort of thing. We don't, we, don't, we don't condone that. We stand for, although I don't even think it should, we should have to use this identifier. We stand for traditional marriage. The church stands for what is right. Marriage between a man and a woman. One man, one woman for life. The church stands for sanctity of life. And again, I think that's terrible that we even have to identify it that way. But what we're saying is we oppose the horrendous sin of abortion. And we speak out against that. That's a beautiful thing. That we are amongst a group of people that's not ashamed to say abortion is wrong. It's murder of an unborn child. That's just, again, a couple of examples. But those kind of lovely attributes of the church make it so that we ought to love the church. It possesses lovely features. I think we should love the church because it is hated by the world. The church is hated by the world. Uh, when we take the kind of stand that we were just mentioning against things like homosexuality and abortion, uh, the world hates us for that. I am of the opinion that, it, that the world's hate toward our stand for what is right is probably going to grow and increase and there may be a measure of censor exercised against us. We may certainly face an increasing measure of persecution in the world because of the stands for what is right. That's understandable. That's expected. The world hates it when the church points out the, the errors and sins that are going on in the world. I want you to think about this. When the world hates the church, that puts us in good company. In John chapter 15, beginning verse 18, Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love, his, love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. You know, there's a pretty good self-test here for us in the Lord's church. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. If, if we're not making some waves, if we're not generating some opposition... If we are not causing people to point a finger of accusation against us and hate us for what we stand for and what we do, if the world doesn't hate us, then there's a problem. Jesus said, if the world loves us as its own, then we are of the world. The world hates the Lord's church. And, and so we ought to love it all the more for that very reason i got to add another point here that is a really sad one to point out. And that is that sometimes we are despised even by our own brethren. You know, this hurts even worse. As we said earlier, it's sort of expected that we'd be hated by the world. But it's really a sad, shocking thing when sometimes we are despised by our own brethren. David wrote about that in Psalm 41, verse 9. 
Psalm 41, verse 9, David said, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. David experienced the the real hurt of having someone who was supposed to be his friend treat him wrong. And I think that's true spiritually, and it's true for us in the church. When, When we're trying to take a stand for what's right, and then, sad to say, some of our own brethren would turn and misuse us over that, that is a sad and hurtful thing. We, we ought, because that is a reality, we ought to have even a deeper commitment to the church. Paul was concerned that the church at Corinth would not pass that test. In 2 Corinthians 11, beginning verse 2, he says, I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear if he that cometh preacheth another Christ whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted... You might well bear with him. So Paul was afraid that even as false teachers were circulating, they might accept the false teaching that came their way. We need to be on guard that that would not happen to us. We need to love the church because even among our own brethren, there are false teachers that could lead us astray. I think we could multiply the reasons why, but we should love the church for these reasons and more. Do you ever think about loving the church? I love the Lord's church. Do you ever think that way? It really should be the case. We love the church. We should love the church. If we love the church, then there are some things we need to do. So because we love the church, we need to do some things. The first thing I would point out, I think, is a really obvious one, is that we should pray for the church. Look at the Apostle Paul as an example in this. Romans 1.8 First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you. Ephesians 1, verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Philippians 1, verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all. Colossians 1, verse 3, we always thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 2 and 3, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. I don't know about you, but I find that to be pretty impressive. So over and over again, when Paul wrote to various congregations, congregations that he was, so in many instances that he had helped to establish, uh, that he had contact with and association with, Probably the exception there is Rome, because we think when he wrote Romans 1, he hadn't been to Rome yet. But he was praying for the... You've got to think, Paul was obviously spending a lot of time in prayer just to be able to mention all the people that he said he mentioned. You get the idea that his prayers were full of requests for these various congregations. So, if we love the church, we ought to pray for it. Do you do that? Could I just challenge you to think about your own personal practice of prayer? Do you, as a member of this congregation, do you spend time praying for this church and for the work that we are doing together? It is, necess- it is needed and necessary help to the things that we're trying to accomplish. We need to pray for the church simply because we love the church. We need to view our struggles as something that can strengthen us. Uh, we were mentioning uh, as we've developed this, that there are some hardships posed to the church because we live in a 
in a hateful world. Uh, and living in this hateful world and, and combining with that with the fact that we won't compromise like the world is compromising on so many things, this could be a big discouragement. As we said earlier, we know through the centuries the church has been persecuted. We've lived during a, a, a time of relative peace where we have not been harshly persecuted for our faith. That could change. That could change pretty quickly, perhaps. But we need to realize that whatever happens, whatever hardships come our way, living in this wicked world, that we should be able to see our struggles as something that can strengthen us. Paul wrote in Philippians 1, remember Philippians 1 is one of those prison epistles that we're studying on Wednesday night. In Philippians 1 verse 12, I want you to know, he says, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. And so Paul could see that even the persecutions that were coming upon him and others as well in that same time frame, he could see that that was actually emboldening, emboldening the, the brethren. And, 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 and they were preaching even more fervently the truth of the gospel. He could see that the hardships that came against him and other Christians could actually be something that strengthened. We, could, we should be able to see the same thing. We, li- we should love the church. And we're facing this, a, 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 the, the challenge of living in a wicked world. But view your struggles in the church. We should all view them as something that can strengthen us. Certainly, because we love the church, then we're going to cultivate love for one another. Uh, I want to go back to that text we were looking at a minute ago when Paul spoke to the church of Thessalonica. He said, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. So he commended them. They had a track record of this kind of brotherly love. But notice, he goes on to say, but we urge you brothers to do this more and more. So even though they had a good track record of of expressing and demonstrating brotherly love toward other Christians, he says, you need to keep doing that more and more. We're in a great spiritual war. I think that's absolutely a truth. It's not an overstatement. We're living in a spirit, in the time of a great spiritual war. And knowing this should cause us to draw nearer to one another. Because we are in common engaged in this great spiritual warfare. Uh, let us draw near to one another. Let us love one another more and more. Certainly if you love the church... You would not, should not, wouldn't want to do anything that would harm the church. You would would not want to attack the church and harshly criticize the church. I'm concerned that we see sometimes brethren who do that. You know, sometimes the harshest criticisms of the church come from those within. Uh, Very uh, hurtful kind of judgmental things are said and done against the church. We need to develop greater love for one another. And we, we should work to develop greater love for one another because we love what we have in common in the Lord's church. And let me suggest to you that we need to work to correct its weaknesses and failings. 
In, this, in the points that we've made, especially this last one, when we said we need to cultivate love for one another, we are not suggesting that we should ignore problem areas. Uh, we're not saying, look the other way, sweep it under the rug. We acknowledge that, that the church, any church, this congregation, uh, as a specific case, we are not perfect. No one is suggesting that we are perfect. So, in love for the church, what we ought to do is to try to correct those, those weaknesses and failings, fix them if we can. I'll give you an example that I've used before, but I, I think it's, it certainly illustrates what we're talking about. Have you ever heard people say, the church is unfriendly? I know you have, because that accusation is, is one that's leveled with some regularity, and I got to tell you, it's not just this church, it's every church gets that accusation. I, I, at least every church that I've ever known anything about has been criticized by someone at some time as being unfriendly, which I, don't, which I think is, is a, a, a pretty shaky accusation because I don't find that to be so. Uh, uh, every church that I've ever been a part of has been a friendly church, but... Still gets criticized for being unfriendly. But okay, let's say so then. Let's, let's accept at face value that accusation. It's not a friendly church. I think the person who says that is, is wrong. But take it at face value as a fair accusation. What are you going to do then? Well, why don't you work to make it a friendly church? If that's your feeling about the church, then what can you do to change that and make it better? If we love the church then we're going to work to correct its weaknesses and failings. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, you know this verse well. I write, so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. We often emphasize this last expression, that the church is the pillar and support of the truth, very important. But I want you to really focus in on the church is the household of God. You know, when we talk about when the scripture there refers to the household of God, we would say that the church is the family of God. That's the way we would say. We, we typically wouldn't talk about the household of God. We talk about the family of God. It's, it's, it's completely synonymous here in usage. So this is the family of God. What do you do if you're family? Well, we know what we do with our physical families. When there, when there are problems, we work to resolve our problems in our physical family. F- physical families have problems, right? And we work to resolve our problems. Why wouldn't that same principle apply in the church? We're not perfect. We said we're not perfect. But because we love one another as family, then we're going to work to resolve our problems in the household of God. Paul uses the familiar analogy of a physical body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning verse 12, For as the body is one, have many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. The body is not one member, but many. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, but yet one body. What do we, what does our, how does our physical body respond to an issue, a problem, an injury, or a heart? Well, as we've pointed out before, you know, your whole body jumps into action mode, even if one 
insignificant part of the body has been harmed. Your little finger is hurt. Your whole body responds to the hurt of one member, a small member, an insignificant member. My little finger is hurt. If I cut my little finger, my whole body is going to spring into action to fix that. Right? And so that's what we do in the body of Christ or what we should do in the body of Christ because, yeah, I, I got to say, you know, I love my little finger. <laughs> it's just a little finger, but I'm pretty, pretty attached to it in a very literal way. I don't want it to be hurt. And if it's hurt, I want it to be fixed because I love that little finger. In the church, because we love the church and the individual members of it, when one hurts, we hurt. When one hurts, we try to help. We spring into action to fix the problem. That's what we do because we love the church. And so we should love the church. Have you ever thought about it that way? I, I don't know. Somehow that just sort of intrigues that. That notion intrigues me because I don't think we often express it that way. We love the church. And because we love the church, the reasons why are stated. And because we do, there are things we ought to do in response to that love. Thanks for your good attention to what we had to say. And hope it's helpful. I hope it, it gives us a deeper and, and greater commitment to love the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for your good attention to what we've had to say. We're going to sing a song of invitation. And singing it, we'll be encouraging one and all to consider your life, consider your standing with God, make sure it's right. If you're not a Christian, we urge you to become one. Hear the truth, believe it, repent of your sins, confess your faith in Jesus, be baptized for the remission of sins. If you're a Christian already but you've not been faithful, Lord, come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. We'd be glad to pray with you and for you. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song.